In this week's SME feature, we speak to Kahisho Mahura of Gradage and Mahura Investments. Kahisho, take us through the journey of starting such a business. Yeah, to me, uh, you know, um, starting this business was was a very difficult process. Um, being a wealth management financial advice business, it was quite unfortunate, I think, in one sense, that we started right in the middle of the of the worst recession we had seen in 80 years. You know, this was in the, in 2008, 2009 when we started the business. Um, so it was incredibly difficult um, to to start the business right then. But I think one of the greatest lessons about about that is that um, there's never a perfect moment to start the business. Mm. I think it's one of those things, if you're ready to do it, you need to get out there and you need to get it done. Because while that seemed like uh, a terrible disadvantage, the biggest advantage for us has been that all the clients that whose investments we've invested since since then have started at the bottom of the market and therefore have seen very good returns since they've since they've become our clients so starting a business was 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 incredibly hard because of the nature of the business and given where the market was actually sitting at that point in time that brings me to my next point of the nature of the business how has it been received so far given the culture of uh, entrepreneurs in South Africa that somehow don't necessarily have that much money for such a type of service? Yeah, you know, um, one of our greatest challenges when we started this business was that we were going to run it very differently from the way traditional wealth management or advised businesses had been run. Um, traditionally, what, uh, what, what people have done is that they've gotten their clients to pay for their business. In other words, they've marketed products to their clients where they were paid commissions or fees into the future for services they hadn't actually rendered to the clients. But a lot of those products were actually quite detrimental to the clients. The way we started the business is that we were going to say, we are going to run this thing as a business. We are going to go out like all proper businesses and raise money and put money into our, into the business so that we have working capital instead of using our uh, using our clients to pay for our business by marketing products that didn't make sense to them. So that in itself was a, a fairly big risk. But the way it has worked so wonderfully for us has been quite amazing because our clients have bought into that that philosophy because it has come through in the returns that we have generated for them. It has come through in the service that we've been able to provide for them because because we raised the money, we were actually able to staff the business properly. So we've got a very strong service team. We've got a lot more people actually in the back office servicing our clients than we do with people that are actually seeing the clients and, and providing the advice to the clients. Mm. And one of the biggest problems with wealth management or financial advice businesses is that clients have always complained that the guy comes to see you, he sells you some sort of product, but you never really get to see them. So the way we've created the business is that because the service team is so strong, there's constant uh, communication with our clients. Um, the clients feel that they're connected with uh, with the business so it's been received incredibly well because of the way we structured the business. It was a huge risk. It was quite painful in the first few years, but it has come through quite nicely in the sense that since we actually started the business, we haven't actually lost any client. That's All the clients that we've lost have been either been to, uh, to death or um, one or two that we didn't actually want as clients ourselves. <laughs> That's an interesting way of looking at it. Now, it brings me to the point of... Um, the current SME space in South Africa, what are your views on that, given that your service is quite a specialized one and a niche-based business? 
Um, I'm going to answer that question in two parts. Um, the, the first part is SMEs currently are really struggling to raise, to raise finance. Okay? And that was a huge struggle for us when we started our business. Um, one, because um, it, it, it's a space that is, it, it was quite saturated at, at the time, although we were bringing a very different angle, angle to it. So it was quite difficult to, to convince people to lend us the capital that we were actually looking for. Mm-hmm. So we went to the traditional banks. The banks looked at our business plans and they wanted to charge us inflation plus 5%, which was, at the time, inflation was 10%. Um, uh, sorry, how am I talking about inflation? Uh, um, prime, prime. Plus, prime plus 5%. Um, so that was like 15%. I mean, that's a 15% payback before you make a cent. That, that was just going to... Um, that was just going to kill us. Mm-hmm. So what we were able to do was to think outside the box, think outside the traditional lenders of money. We actually went up our value chain and spoke to the suppliers who could see the value in us creating a distribution for them, and that's where we got our money. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the first point I'm trying to make for, for uh, SMEs today is don't think of just a traditional way of raising money. Don't just go to the traditional places where you can get money. Think outside the box. Think about the people who could benefit from the service that you're giving, who may have a vested interest. While they're not owners of your business, they may be willing to lend you money because you could provide some sort of distribution to them that might actually benefit them. So so the state of the, 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 the SMEs, as I find now, is that the guys are really struggling to raise money because they're not thinking outside the box. They're not mm-hmm. thinking outside the traditional ways of, of of trying to find people that can lend them money. That's the first problem. The second problem is people get married to their own ideas. Mm. Because it's my idea, I don't want to share the benefits of that idea with anybody else. So if I come to you, I want you to lend me money, which I'm going to pay back to you over a certain period of time. And if the investor says, no, I, want, I don't want to put debt into the business, I want to put equity. So I'll give you money, but give me 30% of your business and the guys are not willing to be flexible enough. Mm. And the thing you need to think about as an entrepreneur is sometimes it's better to own 70% of something than to own 100% of zero. So the guys need to think a little bit outside, yeah. outside, outside the box when it comes to how do they raise money? How do you mix... Um, debt and equity, and which is the most optimal combination that you can find uh, on those two. And, and that's the kind of advice that we're kind of trying to give our clients mm. when, they, when they're trying to start their businesses. Now, you guys give bitter truths about a business. What are some of the stories that you've had to endure or hear of when small businesses are trying to make a living, are trying to make the business successful, but at the same time you are running this thing from your own pocket, which is a story that many can relate to in South Africa. You know, the saddest part about about the way a lot of people start their businesses, you find that some entrepreneurs, particularly the older ones, there's people who've been out in the market for a couple of years, let's say they've worked for 10 years, they started working at the age of 24, 25, they're now in their mid-30s, and they want to go out and start their own businesses. Mm. The first place they often go is their own retirement money. So somebody finds out they've got 800,000 rand, a million rand in their pension fund. Now that's going to be the money they're going to use to start their own businesses. Um, Firstly, they don't realize, one, if you've got a million rand in your pension fund, you're not going to get a million rand out. So they get the shock of their lives when they lose 30 to 36% of their money through tax. 
But now they've already made the decision. They've already, SARS has already taken their money. So they're already 30% short of what they thought they had in the pocket in the first place. Mm. And then the second problem is that they then underestimate the amount of time it's going to take before before the business actually starts starts making money. So we've seen guys who've been incredibly successful as executives move out of executive positions, take their retirement money, pump it all into their business, and then a year or two later have absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. They've got, at the age of 30 to 40, a lot of them have got young families. Suddenly there's a young family of young kids who used to be in expensive private schools. Suddenly the cash is not coming through to support that particular lifestyle. Yeah. The strife it causes in the family, the strife it causes for the children, the strife it causes for the entrepreneur themselves, has actually been horrendous. So we've we've seen a lot of a lot of horror stories in the t- in the in the time that we've been in the market and trying to advise people. Mm. The other one, which is actually quite interesting, is then people who get close to retirement. So now not not your mid thirties now, the guys in their sixties mm. who suddenly want to become entrepreneurs. <laughs> And and the same issue, they look at their pension fund statement and they're thinking, there's a lot of money here, I can leave now and go start my own business. And I'm sick and tired of this 30 or 40-year-old manager who doesn't know what they're doing and why do I have to report to them when I've got a lot of experience. Mm. And I often say to them, um, anger with your manager in itself is not a reason to go start your business. <laughs> you know, At the age of 60, you've never run a business in your life. Now suddenly you're going to take savings your life savings, mm. you're going to plug them into a business that you haven't even thought about. I'll give you a classic example. There was a gentleman in um, in Durban who said to me he was 61 at the time. The retirement age of the fund he was sitting in was 63. He said to me, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I said to him, but what business are you going to start? So he's going to start a property uh, development business of some sort. So in simple terms, he's going to buy properties, he's going to renovate them, he's going to put them back in the market. Mm -hmm. Has you got a business plan? He doesn't have a business plan. It's actually quite simple. There are houses in the township, in Umlazi, as he says, Mm. I'm going to buy a property for 350,000 rand, I'm going to renovate it, and then I'm going to sell it for 450,000 rand, I'm going to make 100,000 rand per property, and that's how I'm going to make my money. In itself, when you listen to it, it really there's nothing really wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the beauty about putting a business plan pl- together is that it helps you ask yourself the difficult questions. And this is how talking about truths that we <laughs> we put through to our clients. So I started asking him, "How long does it take to buy a property?" Yeah. Okay, he's not sure. So I said to him, "It'll take you two to three months, with transfers and everything that needs to happen. That's that." And then, how long does it take to renovate the property? Okay. Of course, it depends on what's wrong with it. Um, it'll take you between three to five months to renovate. And I said to him, have you ever met a contractor who's ever finished any job on time? Mm. And then when it rains, and then when they steal the cement that they're supposed to be <laughs> using, uh, let's say it takes you three to four months to mm-hmm. do that. And then how long does it take you to sell the property? Well, it's probably going to take you as long to sell as it took you to buy because it takes the buyer the same amount of time, time, three to four months. And then suddenly we are talking about three plus four plus three. We are taking 10 to 12 months and you haven't earned a cent yeah. 
from your business. <laughs> you've paid tax on your money, you've taken your cash, you've put it into this business, and you haven't earned a cent a year later. Now, the most important part, which is where business plans help, now you've got a property of 450,000 rand in an area where properties are 350,000. Who's going to buy a property (laughs) which is so much more than what the the going rate in that particular area is? So Mm -hmm. finding a buyer in itself now is going to become that's going to become a problem. Sure. You know, so so these are the type of questions that we try and take our clients through when they talk about going to start their own business mm. and being their own their own managers and the and, and the holders of their own destinies. Having said that, in your view, is there enough education around financial wellness for a business? No idea, no idea. I think entrepreneurship in this country is probably one of the most underrated professions or career moves, both by those who do it and and those who should be encouraging it. And by, by should be encouraging, I mean, for instance, uh, the government and, and the business sector. Mm-hmm. Just not enough credit is given to people that take the risk to go out and, and, and start a business. And I don't think the government kind of um, gives enough incentive for people who are starting their own businesses. Mm. In other words, we were having the same fights with SARS when we were two years old, as I'm sure they have, with businesses that have been around for 100 years old, and they were fighting us for 20,000 rand, yeah. you know, <laughs> which meant a whole lot more to us than it did to them at the time, but we faced the same rules as everybody else, and, and that in itself could have brought us down had we not acceded um, to SARS. And then the people that start the business, um, actually underestimate the amount of work they have to do and the amount of sacrifice they have to put in to make their businesses successful. Mm -hmm. So there's not enough education about for our officials about the risks that people take and the support that they need from from government and the the government infrastructure to help people to succeed. Mm -hmm. But there's even more importantly, there's not enough education to people that leave formal employment or just going to go out and make some sort of living of what it takes to actually make a business successful. Uh, a lot of people are, are lured by this idea of being your own employer, you know, being able to do what you want when you want. They've got no idea that the moment you start working yourself, you're going to work two, three, if not four times harder than you did when you were actually working for somebody else. And that reality, when it hits them, it's just actually, it depresses a lot of people. That's why we have a good 50 to 60% failure rate in new businesses actually starting up. It's not because the people don't know what they're doing. They just have not spent enough time and been educated about mm. what it takes. You may be good at what you do, but running a business is a completely different story. Lastly, okay. where to for Gradridge and Mahura Investments? What can SMEs out there expect and can they come knocking on your door? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an incredible journey of now seven to eight years. It's been a journey of a, a lot of, 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 of tears, a lot of fighting, a lot of um, sacrifices that we've made. But we definitely feel like the business is on a very good footing. We've, we've had a lot of people that have helped us along the way. And, and luckily, we, we were not shy or too arrogant to ask for help when we actually mm. <laughs> when we actually needed it. When I talk about knocking on doors of suppliers, we literally went to old people, old relationships that we had in the industry, people who knew who we were, people who looked at our business plans, gave us feedback, 
and then we're happy to put the money uh, the, the the money where their mouths actually are mm. and they backed us and they and, and and the business has has benefited from one that support the financial support and the moral support that we've actually achieved so, so we're actually quite grateful for that so uh, your listeners can definitely come knocking on our door. I think we're at a point where we really believe that our, our investment philosophy, our advice processes are definitely in the top 5-10% in the country in terms of the quality of advice that we provide, but more importantly, the support structure that um, our business is a corporate wealth management business, mm. that you're not dealing with a one-man show, with somebody sitting with uh, all their stuff in their boots somewhere else, that uh, when you come to us, you're definitely getting a Greenwich Mahura Investments experience and not a single person. Where Whether you're being advised by me or Craig or Virath or anybody in the business, you should be getting the same quality of advice and service no matter who's actually servicing you in, in the business. Thank you so much for your time and we wish you all the best. Thank you very much to me. That was Gahisha Mahura of Gradish Mahura Investments in this week's SME feature.